Do children, or indeed adults, understand the country code? We want everyone to enjoy the countryside, but we want people to be safe and to respect the fact that the countryside is also a place of work. The CLA have written to the Education Secretary to ask for it to be taught in all schools. And one of our local farmers has joined the AHDB's Farm Excellence Programme. We're hopefully going to try out a few different things on the farm over the next three years um, for all to see, the good, the bad and the ugly. We'll talk to Gary Willoughby from Primrose Farm near Wainfleet and Chief Inspector Phil Vickers joins us with some success on the hair coursing front and the farming programme just wouldn't be the same without Sean Sparling and Kit Dickinson from Openfield. Agronomy advice and a look at the markets a little later. The Week in Agriculture. This is the Farming Programme with Steve Orchard. Hello, hope you're well and enjoying the rain. I'm Steve Orchard, plenty to talk about on the farming programme this week. Let's start with a look at the week's farming headlines. Farmers who had to dump milk due to reduced demand recently as a result of coronavirus may be about to lose out from the government's Dairy Hardship Fund. Applications are now open, but eligibility is being calculated by using the drop in milk price, not lost income. RABDF Chairman Peter Alvis said the fund didn't go far enough to support those producers who were in serious need of financial help. And the reduction in milk production amounted to almost 3 million litres, and milk not collected 1.15 million litres. General shooting licences, which were due to expire at the end of July, are to be extended until the 31st of December, while DEFRA continues its review process. The department plans to publish new licences in November to give users time to become acquainted with any changes before they come into play in the new year. And staying with DEFRA, they're inviting farmers and landowners to give your views on the future creation and management of woodland in England. A consultation was launched on Friday to run for 12 weeks. There's more online. Just search England Tree Strategy. And if you're affected by the floods as a result of Storm Dennis back in February, grants of between £525,000 are available from the government's recovery fund. Farmers in parts of Herefordshire, Shropshire, Worcestershire, Gloucestershire, Nottinghamshire and North and East Yorkshire can apply for the fund through the RPA. How many people do you think fully understand the countryside code? Have you been affected by uninformed visitors leaving gates open, loose dogs worrying livestock, littering and inconsiderate parking? The CLA wants to inform the uninformed. Kath Crowther, Regional Director of the uh, Country Land and Business Association, the CLA, joins us on the Farming Programme today. Kath, do you feel there's a lack of understanding generally of the ways of the countryside? Absolutely. Um, I think that COVID has meant that there's a lot of people now using the countryside. Initially, they were going out and using footpaths close to their homes to get their daily exercise. Um, More recently, they've been venturing further afield because they can't go to restaurants and other places they would usually spend their, their leisure time. It's fantastic that those people are getting out into the countryside we want everyone to enjoy the countryside but we want people to be safe and to respect the fact that the countryside is also a place of work um i think there's been a lack of education around how to treat the countryside and we seem to have a generation who don't have an understanding of what is acceptable and what is necessary behavior 
Because there's been an awful lot of examples of fly tipping, littering, trespassing, etc., etc. And the CLA's written to the Secretary of State for Education, Gavin Williamson, calling for the countryside code to be taught in schools. Now, are we focusing particularly on urban areas or, or generally? I think it's important that we educate across the board. I think there's typically a better understanding in rural areas, but that's not always the situation. So we should certainly get that um, out there to, to everyone. And I think that often children can also teach the parents something and remind them of the, the importance here. Um, we've all got a part to play in increasing the understanding. I think classrooms is a fantastic place to start and we've offered to work um, and to develop resource packs for teachers. But we also think that um, everyone could be doing more to promote the importance of not littering, sticking to footpaths, um, closing gates if they're um, they're closed when they're there, not starting barbecues in dry weather, keeping dogs on leads, all of those sorts of things. Now, you make the point of children often teaching uh, adults, which is very, very true. What kind of ages are you aiming at for this education, uh, Kath? We haven't actually specified that. I think it's something that we would like to work with the education authorities to um, decide you know, where it's best placed. Um, you know, we're in the curriculum, um, we should be aiming this. But ideally, you want to do it across the board, given that we've become very aware of the problems in the last few weeks and months. We talk about the Countryside Code. Is that actually written down in a document that people can look at? Yes, so the best thing to do is go online. If you Google Countryside Code, it comes up on the government website. Um, and it's a short document, so it just provides pointers. Um, we would also like some more signage so that we could explain the importance and the reasons behind each element. So, you know, why it is important to leave a gate open um, if it's open when you get there, because there might be some livestock that need the gate open to get to water. Um, but likewise, if the gate's closed, you need to close it behind you so that livestock don't get out. Um, you know, why you should be sticking to footpaths and why we don't want um, you would, you know, dogs should be kept under control um, because there have been a lot of incidents, sadly, with dogs chasing livestock and killing livestock through lockdown. And the Countryside Codes then can be obtained at gov.uk. Cass Crowther, Regional Director of CLA, many thanks for joining us on the Farming Programme. Thanks. Good to speak to you. To our weekly agronomy update now, Sean Sparling's been walking the fields for us and is happy for the third week running. Morning, Sean. Yes, morning, Steve. Couldn't be happier, really. You know, another week of mild, wet weather. And all that this weather is doing is good because it's filling the grain, it's filling the wheat. Most of the wheats are now out of flower with the last anthers hanging on. The later ones are coming into flower now with full ear emergence underway. So they need a combination of sunshine and moisture. The moisture to fill the berries, the oilseed rape, the peas, the beans, the wheat, the barleys, they all need that to fill those grains. And they're getting it in spades. It's fantastic. It's coming straight down. It's 
not coming in at an angle, so it can only and will only do good. Very interesting though out here because up until about three weeks ago before the rain came, it was very, very dry. There was very little in the way of spring germinating wild oats. The broadleaf weeds seemed to be under control from what we'd done hitherto, but clearly grass weed control from fops and dims applied four weeks ago in amongst that heat and in that oppressive, uh, those oppressive conditions has been very disappointing. Very little effect on some of these grass weeds four weeks after application of proper quizifop or fluazifop p-butyl or clethodim. So I'm thinking that these grass weeds in some of these situations had actually shut down so that if a fop or a dim was applied it simply hasn't been able to get into that plant because the plant isn't able to take it in. So if you've already been with a fop and you're disappointed with the results you will need to go back in with a dim. If you've been in with a dim and you're disappointed with the results then you'll need to go back in with a fop to tidy up because you can't use two fops or two dims in the same season. Similarly with residual herbicides I've touched on this before over the last few weeks where they've been applied in cool conditions early morning late evening then the residual part of sugar beet herbicides for example the residual parts of metamitron ethofumosate lenosil are all working reasonably well and they are still picking off the weeds but where applications have been made in temperatures above 21 degrees they simply evaporated before they've done any good and before they could activate into the soil and an example of that was on wednesday afternoon this week it was 23 degree air temperature there were people out as i was driving around spraying sugar beet if you looked at the soil surface temperature in those fields it was in excess of 37 degrees centigrade and as we've said before a fine mist being applied to 37 degrees it's not going to do any good it'll simply evaporate and that's the reason for some of the effects that we're seeing out there in the field now the wet weather of course is bringing on the heightened risk of fusarium ear diseases of microdochium of all sorts of things on the ear that we don't particularly want and as i've said before prothiconazole metconazole tebuconazole all relatively good on partially controlling ear disease complex out there and as we've said before you will only ever get a maximum of 50% control even in perfect condition but once the crop has flowered and it's been wet at that point of flowering for 36 to 48 hours anything you apply beyond that will not control fusarium all you're doing is topping up that foliar disease control and what we're seeing out there in the field now is a slight increase we're starting to pick up yellow rust we can see septoria moving from the base of some of these crops upwards mildew starting to appear we've seen rhincosporium in spring barley i've seen abiotic spotting and unexplained spotting in some of these spring barley now the flag leaf of some of these spring uh, barleys looks absolutely shocking it's withered away for nothing but the crop manages itself in different ways if you look at winter wheat you get around 22 percent of the yield is contributed by the effect of photosynthesis from the ear around 43 percent comes from the flag leaf and about 23 percent comes from leaf two that's around 88 percent of the final yield comes from the ear the flag leaf and leaf two barley is very different the ear contributes 13 percent as opposed to 22 percent the flag leaf only contributes about seven percent as opposed to 43 percent leaf two contributes around 40 percent and the leaf sheath of barley contributes about 25 percent 
percent with the third leaf contributing 12 percent so there's your 88 percent or so 85 to 88 percent but the flag leaf not quite so important on barley so don't get hung up on that all sorts of things happening out here in the field mostly as a result of the wet conditions we now find ourselves in so potato blight now is the time to spend don't let your guard down keep that seven day interval up and use robust product interspersed with manganese and magnesium to feed those nutrient and trace deficiencies which are also showing up in the field peas protect those flowers with a fungicide remember you're trying to stop botrytis and grey mould as those petals drop down into the base of the canopy pa aphids still in there but speak to your advisor as to whether you need to put an insecticide in remember in both peas and beans you can only apply one application of perimicarb aphox in the season so time it so that where it is best used and will give you the best result spring beans brookid beetle out there again 20 degree multiples we're seeing the migration of brookid beetle and the first pod being set so now would be a good time to start thinking about that chocolate spot starting to appear black aphids starting to colonize out there in the field remember the pyrethroids are poorer against black aphids than perimicarb so if you've only got one perimicarb time it at the right time the sugar beet has now met across the roads and it is loving these wet conditions as indeed am i let's see what the next seven days bring Absolutely. Thanks, Sean. Sean Sparling, Sparling Agronomy Services, who will be back with more on next week's farming programme. So much information always in Sean's reports each week. And if you missed anything, a reminder, the farming programme's available on the website, the app, and from wherever you get your podcast at the end of the show. And you can get previous editions going back to the start of the year there too. Kit Dickinson has our weekly look at the markets and prices in a few minutes and we'll talk hair coursing with Chief Inspector Phil Vickers and Farm Excellence with Gary Willoughby from Waynefleet's Primrose Farm. The Week in Agriculture. This is the Farming Programme with Steve Orchard. Seven new monitor farms have joined a network of farms across the UK with a shared aim to improve business performance and best practice. One of those is Primrose Farm near Waynefleet. Gary Willoughby joins us. Now, you're already making changes, aren't you, Gary? You've just sold your plough. Um, yeah, just sold the plough. So yesterday that uh, was put on a lorry and has gone. Um, so a bit of a change, really, of sort of uh, cultivation and the way that we are establishing crops. Um, so obviously no more, well, no more ploughing, all being well. Um, and we are moving to a, a sort of more direct drilling uh technique of establishing our crops uh, with the with the aim of improving our soil structure um, as well as sort of saving saving money on sort of time and diesel uh, turning the soil over and sort of uh, making a seedbed again so uh, it's going to be a bumpy few years as that sort of um, sort of takes off but hopefully it's a bit of a long-term plan and it should sort of work out for us in the end so good um, stuff just give us a, a briefly. What do you actually do on your farm? Um, well, we're a sort of pretty small arable farm um, here on the sort of coast of Lincolnshire. Um, so it's a sort of a marshy, sort of quite heavy soil uh, where we are, and um, we are sort of mainly growing combinable crops. So uh, wheat, barley, oilseed, rape at the moment, um, with uh, peas and beans as well also sort of linseed is a bit of a new crop um so pretty much most things that go through a combine um and then we also uh, do a little bit of farm contracting um, for other sort of local farmers so whether that be 
um, sort of whole farm stubble to stubble, uh, little bits of crop spraying, combine harvesting, which is a bit of a new thing. Combine harvester came to us last year, um, so that's a new sort of part of the business. Um, yeah, just sort of anything that sort of keeps us busy. We're and you've joined the AHDB's Farm Excellence Programme as a monitor farm. What is yeah. a monitor farm, Gary? Um, well, the, the monitor farms are, um, the idea is that it's um, run by the AHDB to bring together uh, sort of groups of like-minded farmers um, that are looking at their business, they're looking to improve their sort of business and profitability, um, so by sharing uh, information between ourselves and looking at the best practice of what we're doing. Um, there might be yeah, sharing ideas um, that can be um, sort of passed around. Um, there may be some new techniques that sort of want trialling on a sort of small basis. So um, we're hopefully going to try out a few different things on the farm over the next three years um, for all to see, the good, the bad and the ugly. Gary, what sort of areas are you going to be focusing on? The sort of the, the sort of core, well, the core themes that we've got at the moment, and these can be added to um, that we're going to be looking over the next three years. We're going to be looking at soil health um, on the farm, very sort of topical issue. Um, so we need to sort of put soil health in some perspective. Um, it's not just going to be about benchmarking how much it costs to grow a ton of wheat, um, but it's also going to be about benchmarking our soil, what we're doing with our soil, how we can improve it. Um, where we would like um, our soil to be in the next 10 years, 20 years, um, what it should look like. Um, so, yeah, I mean, we're going to be taking a baseline on that, working out how to improve it with sort of cover crops, um, direct drilling, minimum tillage, all that sort of thing, all very topical, but we need to be up to speed on that. Um, and we're going to be looking at the profitability of farming businesses, um, whether it be a small family farm like us or... Uh, a much bigger farm um, with more sort of expensively grown crops. Um, so we need to look at that, so what we're doing now and for the sort of next generation as well. We're going to be looking at um, keen on machinery sharing, all these sort of big combines, tractors, seed drills, getting rather expensive. So we're going to be looking at how we can share uh, bits of kit and share the cost of owning and using them. Um, we're going to be looking at uh, family um, sort of family farms, uh, the business structure, succession. Um, we need a sort of real long-term plan of, of making the farm work, not just what's happening this year and next, but real long-term plan um, with the idea that hopefully one day we may be sort of handing this on to the next generation. We're sort of just building the foundations for them, really, um, if they want it, that is, of course. And are the, are the experiences that you go through over the next three years, you and all the other, other monitor farms, is that information then put out into the wider agricultural domain? Is it published? Yeah, yeah. I mean, we are going to be laying ourselves um, sort of pretty open um, to people coming in. We, Like I said, we'll be bringing in experts to look at our um, facts and figures, um, and that will be pretty open. I don't think we're doing anything um, too dissimilar to, the, to most other people in the area and the industry. It, um, it can only be a good thing, I would have thought, Gary, if there's going to be 10 monitor farms, 10 eyes and ears and brains are better than one, aren't they? Yes, yeah, yeah. Well, each monitor farm um, will um, sort of have a, a sort of core group of people. Um, I've been sort of putting together a bit of a team uh, to help me um, sort of 
um, yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, the AHDB sort of take levy uh, from us. So sort of for every, I did have a look at this, uh, 46 pence on a tonne of wheat that sort of goes off the farm. They take that money for sort of research and development. Um, and this is a, a great opportunity for local farmers to sort of cash in on some of that levy and really uh, get the most out of it. So, yeah, now's the time to, um, yeah, speak out. And if there's anything in particular that you, uh, that you want, get in touch and we'll, we'll sort of explore that avenue. So, um, yeah, make, make, make the most of this um, AHDB levy. It's going to be it's going to be a very interesting few years, Gary. We shall be watching with great interest. Do stay in touch and uh, let us know how it goes on. Uh, Gary Willoughby from Primrose Farm. Thank you ever so much for joining the farming program. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me. Last week on the farming programme, we briefly mentioned the number of hair coursing incidents in the county over the last six months. Let's get some more on this from Chief Inspector Phil Vickers, the rural crime lead for Lincolnshire Police. Morning, Phil. Firstly, for the uninitiated, what is hair coursing? Well, hair coursings where uh, groups of dogs, sometimes, are set into fields to, to chase uh, hares. Um, and uh, it, it uh, was a sport with a with a long history going back many hundreds of years. Um, it was outlawed um, under the Hunting Act, um, but still continues as a criminal activity where uh, often it will be placed on how often the, the dogs turn when they're chasing the hares, uh, or the result of a dog chasing a particular hare, whether the, whether the hare is caught or not. Uh, I say an, an unlawful act now um, and it's a plague for communities certainly across the, the south and parts of the, the north side of Lincolnshire. And it causes no end of damage to fields, uh, there's threats to, to farmers and to the members of the public isn't it? Yes it does, yeah so the, the people who are involved um, in this sort of criminality um, are known to make threats to anybody that, that gets in their way, that, that pr- tries to prevent them from, from being involved in the activity. Certainly we know that they drive through fields, they cause damage to hedgerows, to fencing, to, to gateways, um, that they will uh, intimidate anybody that, that comes across them. And, and I say it, it causes real concern within rural communities. It's a real general antisocial activity, let's face it. Now, in the last half year, uh, we're, we're showing figures of 1,048 incidents. That seems like a high number, Phil. Yeah, 1,048 for the last season. So that takes us from September 2019 through March 2020. That feels like a really high number, and it is because the only acceptable level is zero. But in reality, the part described it as being a silver medal because last year um, we achieved the lowest number of incidents on record. 873 in the previous season compared to 1,048 this year. So historically, we've looked in at, at, at seasons where the number of incidents has been 2,000 or 3,000 or more. Um, so, so it is a significant reduction. And we've had Operation Galileo on the go, haven't we? Tell me a little bit about that. What's that involved? Well, for the last season, Operation Galileo has been wider than Lincolnshire. We recognise that the offenders who come to our county travel significant distances uh, to commit offences and recognise that the only effective way that we could prevent that offending would be to work with other police forces and other partners around the country. So for the last season, Operation Galileo has 12 forces. Uh, those are the, the 12 forces that suffer hair coursing uh, to the greatest extent, most locally to us, that's uh, Cambridgeshire, also North Yorkshire police are, are also involved. So 
Uh, across the country, wherever there's large areas of flat land, uh, that's where it's, it's a plague to those rural communities. You've been making use of technology, haven't you? Drones, I believe, have been involved. For the past couple of seasons, we've been using um, officers who are trained to use drones. They're really, really useful for us to uh, be able to identify offenders from significant distance, to to gather evidence as well, to put drones up after an offence has been committed and show the damage that's been caused to the crops and and, and to the surrounding area. That's really, really valuable for us. Um, and, And we're committed to making best use of technology. We've worked with uh, the National Farmers Union and the CLA to encourage those people who uh, witness haircoursing to use the, the Free Words app, which gives a, a unique location and helps us in identifying specifically where offenders are um, and, and where incidents are occurring. The courts have been helping a little bit, haven't they, in terms of uh, forfeiting dogs? Yeah, it's really frustrating because the, the haircutting legislation, we would argue, isn't fit for purpose. So uh, we, we do get really excellent support from the courts in Lincolnshire, but their hands are tied by uh, the, the legislation, which really doesn't allow significant penalties to be imposed. We've been doing some work recently nationally. Um, to get the legislation changed, but we've put a lot of effort into seizing dogs, and most recently we've been able to have some of those dogs forfeited at court, and that's something that has a real impact on offenders and means that they really don't want to come to Lincolnshire. So progress is being made, which is great news. it be nice to see the numbers, as you say, go down even further next time round. How can the public help, Phil? We've been encouraging uh, victims, witnesses to report hair coursing to us at the earliest opportunity. The sooner we get notification of this kind of criminality occurring in our fields, the, the better chance we have of catching the offenders. So we're absolutely encouraging people to report on 999 to the police when they see this happening. So that might be usually groups of men with four by fours getting lurcher type dogs uh, out into the fields. If anybody sees that kind of activity, then that's very likely to be hair coursing. If it's not, we're really happy still just to check it out and, and, and to find that they're doing something, something legitimate. But if they are, then that gives us the, the chance to, to catch them in the act and to prosecute them. Now you mentioned this app. Uh, just give us details of the app again, would you, Phil? So the app we've been encouraging people to use is What Three Words. It's an app that's freely available, and it means that you give three unique words that are provided by the app at your location, and it means that our control room can specifically identify where you are. We've been using it because a lot of the locations where hair coursing takes place are quite nondescript, or sometimes you have roads that are particularly long, and and sometimes callers aren't uh, aware of exactly where their their location is. And, And this means we can narrow down to a really precise location and we can get our officers to attend as soon as possible so on the app store you would just search for what three words is that right that's right phil vickers chief inspector for lincolnshire police for the rural crime team thanks ever so much for joining us once again on the farming program thank you time for our weekly market and prices update from open field morning kit Good morning, Steve. On the wheat market this week, as we get closer to the end of June and July is only around the corner, sheds on farm are being emptied and the trade needs to find enough wheat, barley, oilseed rape to carry forward before new crop is available. This year, the estimated carryover is 3 million tonnes, which is substantially more than last year and more than enough to supply July and August. This week, we've seen a lot of old crop come to the market as new crop values have been reduced and come back in line with old crop values. 
Due to COVID-19, the wheat homes are finding it difficult to estimate the tonnage needed per month. May contracts have been rolled into June and June into July, as overordering keeps happening. This is not down to limited lorries, but simply less demand for the end product on the shop shelves. It has also been noticed in the EU, as there is no tourism trade, and therefore there is a surplus in their market yet to be allocated. Given the surplus of wheat currently sat in the trade and no weather stories to talk about, it adds a bearish tone to the wheat market, and you could argue the price may keep dropping from here. Oilseed rate, old crop, has been well supported this week for two reasons. Firstly, there are more shops and restaurants opening and more rapeseed oil is being used. This should increase steadily as we come out of the lockdown period and enter phase three. Secondly, there is a growing concern over new crop quantity and quality. And as I mentioned before, it will be interesting to see the yield this year, given the poor growing season and much reduced planted area last autumn. All these concerns are adding value to the oilseed rate prices, but if we were to have a second wave of COVID-19 and we went back in to phase one of lockdown, this would have a negative effect, as we have seen before, on prices. Barley this week, the old crop malting barley market has fallen away. Liquidity has dried up and therefore there is no forecast further forward. There are also high stock levels of malting barley. With contracts not being taken and a large carry expected, this could cause problems for harvest movement into molsters. The original estimation for 20 crop barley was 8 million tonnes, which, after poor weather in the recent weeks, has now been dropped to 7 million tonnes. Given the large carryover we are seeing, this could lead to narrow premiums, especially at harvest, which could be added to the oversupply in the market. Harvest movement could be moving as feed. So prices this week for feed wheat, June 155 to 157, August 157 to 159, November 162 to 164, February 165 to 167, May 169 to 171. Milling premiums are currently £25. Oilseed rate prices for June, 313 to 315. No change into August at 315 to 317. November, 325 to 327. February, 328 to 329. And May, 330 to 332. Feed barley for June, 125 to 127. Small drop into August at 123 to 125, November 129 to 131, and February through to May 133 to 135 limited carry. Currently, malting premiums are unavailable. Kit Dickinson from Open Field, many thanks again. Kit's back with another update this time next week on The Farming Programme. The Farming Programme. Five-day forecast. Well, after some areas had a month's worth of rain in 24 hours the other day, how's this week looking? There's a low-pressure area coming over the weekend to bring a bit of fresher weather and a little bit more of a breeze. Still warm, but less humid, and quite a strong jet stream coming off the Atlantic. Today we'll see some showers mixed in with the sunny spells, possibly up to four or five millimetres of rain. Winds in the mid-teens MPH, mostly from the southwest. Highs in the upper teens Celsius. Monday and Tuesday look dry with gentle breezes from the southwest. Sunshine and highs around 20 on Monday and a couple of degrees higher for Tuesday. Wednesday should bring a little rain in the afternoon, but that's about it for the rest of the week. Southerly breezes and temperatures getting up to the mid-20s. Thursday and Friday see the wind all over the place, but quite calm, not even getting into double figures MPH. Dry, quite sunny and warm for the end of the week with daytime highs around 23 Celsius. 
Thanks for your company again on the Farming Programme. Lincolnshire Show Online, don't forget, takes place on Thursday. Whether you're a farmer, foodie, shopaholic, they're promising something to suit all ages and tastes with attractions and activities, educational and agricultural content, cookery demonstrations, entertainment, online shopping, etc. All available online at lincolnshireshowonline.co.uk. Do give them your support if you can. I must just mention that Louth Tractors are hosting their own mini-show at Louth on Wednesday. Everybody's welcome. There's more details on their website. I'm Steve Orchard. Thanks to your company once again. We'll do it all again same time next Sunday. And don't forget you can listen whenever on the website, on the app, and from wherever you get your podcasts. Stay safe, stay positive, have a good farming week.